Welcome to the Speechy Side Up podcast. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. You can follow along on Instagram at Speechy Side Up. This episode is a little different than my other episodes as it's part of an online event called Apraxia Connect that took place on June 24th, 2023. It has been made available for free by Tassel Learning. Attendees got access to amazing bonuses like a Q&A session with the speakers, apraxia resources, discount codes, and free digital downloads like an apraxia homework package from Anna D. SLP and a CV bingo for apraxia from SLP Mommy of Apraxia. You can still get access to all of these bonuses plus more, the recorded video playbacks, and earn 0.6 ASHA CEUs. I'll explain how at the end of this episode with a special gift for Speechy Side Up listeners. But if you can't wait, then just check out the show notes now. Hopefully you're sitting down for this one because you're definitely going to want to write down all the incredible CAS tips from this speaker. So grab your pens and get ready to build your confidence in diagnosing and treating childhood apraxia of speech. Super excited about this topic. I have a good friend of mine, Samantha. We've known each other for a while now, right, Samantha? We have. So she actually is a local speech language pathologist to South Florida, and we both have a strong passion for AAC. You'll get to learn more about her when we do the bio. But Sam has some really awesome things going on in our community, and that's why we chose this topic, Fostering Friendship and Self-Advocacy in Children with Apraxia. And she'll tell you all about it as we go along. Let's start with some introductions, though. I will go first. I'm an AAC consultant and early intervention therapist, and I'm on a mission to help SLP stop reinventing the wheel and connect with other professionals through the podcast. I have a private practice that helps uh, caregivers and becoming competent communication partners. And when I'm not being an SLP, I love hanging out with my toddler, husband, and two doggies. How about you, Sam? Thank you. First, thank you so much for the opportunity to share with you. I always love our conversations. Um, Yeah, so I'm a speech language pathologist and owner of our private practice, Bridge Therapy. Um, I also lead a nonprofit organization called The Friendship Journey. And that is that is local to South Florida. And we also lead a virtual summer camp for teens and adults with disabilities called Camp Wings of Friendship. Um, I am a recent graduate of the Apraxia Boot Camp, which is an intensive training led through Apraxia Kids. It really was a wonderful professional learning experience. And I am a LAMP certified professional. And I'm really excited to have the honor to lead the Apraxia Walk in South Florida again this year. Oh, that's run by you. So we just had Jocelyn on. She's also part of Apraxia Connect, but she runs the walk in Atlanta. Oh, I love that. That's great. Yeah. And so she was like, find out like who runs the one in South Florida and lo and behold, it's you, Samantha. That's awesome. I'll definitely have to coordinate with you so that I can keep up too. That would be great. Awesome. All right. And we have to share our financial disclosures. So I have ownership interest in Speechy Side Up LLC and Tassel Learning LLC, and I'm an affiliate for Simple Practice and Meaningful Speech and receive commission for any sales made with my code. I'm also a member of ASHA. And then Sam, you can share yours too. Yes. 
Um, I am a speech language pathologist and the owner of Bridge Therapy, and I'm employed by Bridge Therapy. And my non-financial disclosures are that I am the president of the Friendship Journey and director of Camp Wings of Friendship. And I am also a member of ASHA as well. And also I should have added it here, but you will be receiving compensation for our speaking fee for this course as well. All right. So here's our agenda for today. So we started with introductions and backgrounds. Then we're going to talk about why children with childhood apraxia of speech need supports to develop friendships. We're going to talk about understanding and accepting themselves uh, and their apraxia. So helping children with CAS, you know, accomplish this. And we're going to talk about goals and strategies to facilitate friendship building and how to foster self-advocacy skills and a sense of community among this population. And then we'll wrap up with our references and some closing remarks. Here are the learning outcomes for today. So by the end of this course, we hope that you'll be able to identify two unique challenges that children with CAS may face when developing friendships. Describe two strategies to help children with CAS build positive relationships and social skills. Describe the importance of self-acceptance and self-advocacy in fostering positive social interactions. And identify two ways to create a more supportive and inclusive community for children with CAS and their families. All right, so let's dive in. Why, um, what type of supports do children with childhood apraxia of speech need to help support developing friendships? Yes, so I think to best answer this question, I, I often like to refer to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And for those who aren't familiar, it sort of looks like a pyramid of, of needs. They're human needs that all of us have in order to reach the fullest and most fulfilled versions of ourselves. So on the bottom of the pyramid, um, those are the physiological needs. So those are the biological human needs that we all need to survive. So things like food, air, water, sleep, shelter, clothing. And then when we move up the, the pyramid, um, we have safety needs. So there's emotional and financial security, health, well-being, freedom from fear, um, stability, and trust in the environment. And then moving further up the triangle, this is really an area of support that children with apraxia um, really need to, to foster, and that's love and belonging. So in that section, it refers to friendship, trust, acceptance, receiving and giving love, and feeling connected to others. And then further up is esteem, which refers to self-worth, accomplishment, respect, um, dignity, and, and esteem for oneself, and the desire to receive respect from others. And then the highest level of the pyramid is self-actualization, which is the realization of potential for self-fulfillment. So um, bringing growth and experiences that increase wonder, for example, or joy and a sense of a deeper connection to the world around us. So I love looking at this and using this as a framework for thinking of children, especially children with apraxia who have difficulties in expressing themselves with communication that can certainly impact friendships for a variety of reasons. Um, so there, there's a recent study called the Psychosocial Comorbidities in Adolescents with histories of childhood apraxia of speech that came out in 2021. And I really love this study because it assesses the social emotional impact of CAS. 
So within this study, four key themes emerged. So one was concerns about children's intelligibility. Let me take a step back and say that this study was done um, by asking parents questions about their experience um, for their children with CIS. So one of the four key themes that emerged, again, was concerns about their children's intelligibility, which refers to the child's ability to be understood by listeners. Um, another was challenges with peer relationships. So that refers to their ability to interact, to connect with their friends, with their peers, whether it be in school or outside of school through recreational experiences. Um, another was the reliance on the parent to be the child's voice. Um, and so this is something that we see often and I've seen often within my practice. Um, sometimes kids initially will be really reluctant to communicate even when they do have the skills because it's hard for them or they're used to not being understood. Um, and then another key theme was the emotional responses that many of these children have. So things such as frustration and experiencing anxiety. Um, and so when we think about friendship, we really think about this as a human need. And as we all know, through our personal lives, our friendships grow and evolve throughout our lives. And, you know, we have friends that are friends for a lifetime, and we have friends that are friends for a chapter of our lives. Um, we have close friends, and we have, you know, friendships that maybe are more based on, on fun experiences. Um, but don't reach that deeper level. So as these friendships evolve and change, the needs for children with CAS also evolve and change. Um, for young children, friendships might look like being able to ask a friend to play on the playground or asking a friend to come over or connecting with a friend at the cafeteria in school. And as kids get older, those friendships need those friendship needs. Um, they really evolve. So it might be you know playing video games with their friends or being able to express shared interests. Um, being able to connect with others, maybe over some hardships or things that are challenging for them, and having those friends that are there to to support us through different times. Um, so these are are many of the the struggles and the challenges that children with CAS face due to the difficulties that they have communicating throughout their lives. It's really interesting. Uh, I want to go back to Maslow's pyramid. We will include that in the handout so that everybody can reference it while Sam was going over it. You can also refer back to it whenever you need to. Um, and then I think it was a really interesting point that you made that like the needs of friendships evolve over time. I think that like we know that subconsciously, but you know, in reality, like that's going to really change what we're targeting for this population. Um, so what type of goals are you like targeting with your early intervention kiddos with CAS? I'm sure those look a lot different. Yes. So there are a variety of goals that, that we can think of. Um, so, and, and first and foremost, when we think of speech therapy for children with CAS, and I'm sure that this is something that you're discussing often in Apraxia Connect is the importance of evidence-based therapy that's rooted in the principles of motor learning. So in order to provide these children with 
the services that they deserve, we need to ensure that those services are evidence-based and that they're rooted in those principles of motor learning so these kids can be as successful as possible. So, and then through that, that lens and that framework, um, there are a variety of goals that we can um, incorporate. So this also might be um, done through what's called target selection. So when we think about for, for DTTC therapy, for example, we usually will implement, you know, a closed set of, of targets. So using the child's what's called phonemic and phonotactic inventories, the sounds and the syllable shapes that the child has in their inventory, um, we can choose meaningful targets. So one target that I often start with if the child doesn't already have it is their name. Mm -hmm. um, because if a child can't say their name, that's really going to impact their ability to connect with others because that's the first question that they often get asked um, from a very young age, you know, when they're on the playground or they're meeting someone, what's your name? So even if the child's not able to produce their name yet, some, some names are more challenging than others, depending on what's in the child's inventory. Um, this could be through verbal production, through AAC or another means of communication as well. Um, and then when it comes to verbal speech, we might also incorporate a nickname or a close intelligible approximation um, in order for the child to be able to say who they are in a way that's meaningful to them. Um, so that's one. Another is we might think when we think about target selection, it might be at the phrase level. So we might choose targets and we want to think of those co-articulatory transitions too, meaning we're not just looking at the single words, but we're also looking at the movements between words and between syllables. Um, so we might choose a target like, can I play? Or can I have a turn? And we might even separate that. We might first work on can I, then we might work on have a, and then we might sequence that together. Um, so choosing targets that are meaningful to the child is really important. I also like to choose um, salient targets that have to do with the child's favorites, because that's a, a such a great form of expression and connection, right? How often do young children connect over things like Paw Patrol or Gabby's Dollhouse or um, the Mario movie? So depending on the child's interests and preferences, um, those might be meaningful targets to incorporate. And of course, you know, we have to find this out by getting to know the child's um, seeing what they gravitate towards and having that open line of communication with their families. Um, it might also, other names that we might want to include are names of their friends, maybe names of their pets, um, their favorite animal. So including targets that are meaningful to them that they can use and that can build connections is really important um, in therapy. And then we also might want to role play and practice social situations for friendship building within the session. Um, so this might be, for example, introducing ourselves, um, asking a friend to play. I love using puppets in therapy. Um, they're so much fun. And when you're doing one-on-one -on -one therapy, it's really great because I can serve as the person. I just change the sound of my voice um, to facilitate that communication. So meaning the child is talking to my puppet, but I'm the one talking to the child to provide that modeling and that support. And, um, and sometimes I'll have the puppet do something silly, like make a mistake, whether it's a social mistake or, or a mistake in their production of the target. And the child usually thinks that that's really funny. And then they will make that correction. 
um, and provide the puppet with support. Sometimes my puppets can be really silly. Um, also, you know, practicing taking turns in play. Um, something that else, something else that emerged from this study that was really interesting that I've also seen a lot of in my clinical practice is the um, comorbidity of CAS and ADHD. And with ADHD, many of these children um, have difficulties with impulsivity. So that might be really challenging for them. Like if they want to play with something, they want it. They want it right now. Um, another key theme that emerged from the study is that frustration tolerance. These kids, especially when their receptive language is higher, they, they know what they want to say. And it's frustrating when that other person doesn't understand them. Um, so being able to support that child in that social emotional learning is also really important. Um, I remember a therapist once said, um, name it to tame it. And I think of that for myself, but I also think of that for kids, right? Like really being able to label their emotions and that can support them a lot too. So that's something else we can work on in therapy. So for example, when they're frustrated, just really acknowledging it, like, you know, you're feeling frustrated right now, or you're feeling really mad right now and, and always okaying the feeling because the feeling is always okay, but the choice is not always okay. So I might say something like, it's okay to feel mad. I feel mad sometimes too, but it's not okay to throw toys you know, depending on what, what the choice is when the child feels mad. Um, and then, you know, it might be conflict resolution, again, using puppets or even having somebody else join the session can be a great way to practice that skill. Um, and then as kids get older, those goals might change when it comes to role playing. So things like ordering at a restaurant or talking on the phone, you know, as, as they get older, they might want to ask someone on a date. Um, or be able to, you know, order pizza for themselves. I know a lot of that is now done, like, you know, through apps, so we don't have to call on the phone anymore. Um, but but that's another option. Ordering at a restaurant. I know for some of my older clients, that can be really challenging because they're on the spot and they're asking them what they want. And sometimes they feel, you know, self-conscious about the, the waiter, or the waitress not understanding them. Um, class projects, it's another great opportunity for practice. Um, and going to the doctor's office, being able to express their needs. Um, and then another goal that I often will incorporate into therapy are strategies to clarify messages um, and for communication repair. So what I mean by that is because we know that um, CAS is lifelong, um, and that does not mean that the child will not achieve a intelligible speech because with the right therapy, these children often are fully verbal communicators and they do achieve intelligible speech um, and they are very successful in life. Um, but there may be challenges as they get older, especially as the length and complexity of what they're communicating um, increases. So it is really important for children from a young age to reduce that frustration, to empower them and to make sure that their communication partner can understand them, to learn messages, to clarify, and to repair. So what I mean by that is, let's say a child is saying something, and I'm like, oh, I really want to understand what you just said, but I didn't get it. Um, first and foremost, I'm always very honest with them. Um, and again, I can validate their feelings, and I can say, you know, I'm so sorry, I really want to understand, and you're working so hard, but I didn't understand. I don't pretend to understand something. Um, especially because, you know, a child might be sharing something that 
it was really challenging for them. And if I'm nodding and smiling, that response wouldn't be appropriate. Um, but I, but I might teach them how to use synonyms. So tell me another word for it or how to describe it. What does it look like? What does it feel like? When do you use it? When did you see it? Um, using examples, um, using it in a sentence, using gestures, using communication boards, sign language, and of course, high-tech AEC um, or using a speech generating device is really great for communication repair. Um, and then, you know, we might even work on, on writing or texting or typing. So there's all different ways to do communication repair. Um, and I know this is like a really long-winded response to your question, but I feel like there's just so much to share on this. Um, so something else to think about when we think of goals, you know, we, we work in a private practice, but we often will collaborate with school-based SLPs and parents will often ask us like, what are some good goals that we should include in the IEP? So in addition to their speech and language and communication goals, um, sometimes we'll also include accommodations um, or goals for social support. So um, one accommodation is having the teacher write home each day, and it could be very simple and not super time consuming for the educator on um, what the child did in school that day. Because so often parents will say, I asked my child what they did and they just said, I don't know, or nothing. And sometimes that's just, you know, a typical response. Right. <laughs> um, but other times it's because it's so hard for them to access the motor plan to express it, that it's easier to just say, I don't know. And so then there's, there's that breakdown in communication. And then the parent doesn't always really know and can't model or support it if they don't actually know what was done in school. So the teacher can even just write like, this is the name of the book we read. You know, this is, this is what we did in math. Um, just a few bullet points about the day can be a super, super helpful accommodation. Um, another accommodation is peer support. So maybe including a goal where um, the student has a friend in class, a classmate who is assigned to them. Um, and usually the teacher will be able to identify someone that they naturally have a connection with. And it's an opportunity for that friend to really have their back and to look out for them. Um, and then another goal that can be included is that everybody on the team, the teacher, the speech pathologist, occupational therapist, um, anybody who's part of that child's team should be able to explain and understand apraxia and ways that it can impact a child. Because so often, you know, we hear families sharing that, you know, the speech pathologist said that they don't really know about apraxia or the teacher's never heard of it before. Um, and that's really not fair to the child because then the, the educator or the SLP is not able to provide accommodations or support or, or understanding for that child. Um, we've also had some students um, who will, for example, on the first day of school or early in school or at some point um, in the school year, will share about their apraxia. So this could be through show and tell. They could read a book. Um, maybe the teacher educates. Sometimes it's a student who wants to share because they feel that pride. Sometimes the student's not ready, but that's okay. And then the teacher can just read a book about it. Um, and that's a great opportunity for learning. And um, kids, kids really do well when they understand. Kids are mean when they don't understand. Mm -hmm. All awesome points. So thank you for sharing all of those. I took like copious notes. 
But um, what would be a communication repair strategy you would use with a really young toddler, like under three? That's a great question. Yeah. So I might model it. Um, I may have them gesture. I am a very big um, advocate for AAC and, and not just because I've seen it be successful in my clinical practice, but there's ample, ample research that supports um, its effectiveness. So um, for young children, you know, I might introduce a speech generating device very early and just model so that way they are able to express themselves. Um, gesturing is really powerful, you know, having them point to what they want and giving closed choices is really helpful too. Um, so for example, let's say they're, you know, they're reaching towards the fridge and you, you don't know what they want in the fridge, you know, you might bring them to it and let them point or give them a, a closed choice, meaning a, clo- a choice between two items um, that might help too to help them access that communication. Great tips. Yeah. So what I figured, but I was like, is there like something verbal that we're modeling, but that makes sense that you would offer or teach gestures, offer AAC and then give choices as well. Yeah. It really depends on the child's communicative abilities too. Um, You know, because there are different levels of severity of CAS, it really depends on how much that's impacting the child. The child under three may have um, SCAS or suspected CAS, meaning they're exhibiting some characteristics of CAS, but they don't yet have enough words or sounds or syllables in their repertoire for us to be able to give a meaningful diagnosis because the diagnostic criteria consists of us looking at the child's verbal speech. So for a pre-verbal child um, or a child who's still non-speaking or minimally speaking, we really can't give a true diagnosis, but we can still treat it in the same way. So that might look very different, the supports that are given to a child um, that is still learning to speak um, and doesn't yet have a lot of, of sounds or words in their inventory versus a child who has more words and sounds in their inventory. No, it makes a lot of sense. So did we want to cover anything else on the slide or should I go ahead and move to the next one? Um, I think we about covered it. Okay, awesome. All right, so let's go to the next one. So this one uh, is all about the importance of understanding and accepting. Having children with apraxia learn to accept themselves and accept their apraxia. And it seems like you gave a really good example of like introducing themselves at the beginning of the school year, but I'm excited to hear some other tips that you have. Yes. So um, first and foremost, we, apraxia is not a bad word and disability is not a bad word. Um, I know that a lot of times parents, um, understandably, they don't want their child to be um, labeled and they feel, um, they, they don't want them to experience any sort of, of hardships in life, of course. Um, but it's really important for children to understand who they are because these hardships are going to happen and they do, they are going to face adversity, um, because the proxy can be tough. It can be challenging. Um, the, the benefit is that many of these children grow up to be extremely compassionate. Um, they grow up to be really hard workers because they've had to overcome adversity early in life. And there are so many wonderful qualities that they, they will develop. 
um, in on their journey with apraxia. But apraxia is also part of them. It's part of who they are. And, um, you know, it apraxia will bring a lot of different people into their lives. They'll get to meet different therapists, different families, connect to the apraxia community. And so we, we want to explain to children early in life about their apraxia. We don't want to um, try to sugarcoat it and we don't want to approach it like it's something bad because kids internalize that. And if we kind of dance around it or we don't want to say the word, um, then they might not have the language for it, but they sort of make that connection to, oh, this is something that's not good. Um, and we want them to feel proud of themselves and we want them to understand themselves. Now, that's not to say that they might not have a variety of different feelings about their apraxia and it, it truly is a journey. Um, so there, there will be times where they experience frustration um, and there will be times where, you know, they might be um, upset or, or wish that they didn't have apraxia, but we want to instill early in life and provide them with all the support they need to, to reach the stage of acceptance. Um, and so that starts early again with understanding what their apraxia is. And so for a young child, I might explain it like, um, I know, you know, the word that you want to say, but sometimes it's hard for your mouth to say it. Um, or sometimes it's in your head and, and it's not always sending the right message to your mouth. And for older children, I'm very explicit about what it is. I answer all of their questions. Um, I explain to them that it's, it's, we all have different brains. Brains are like computers. And, um, you know, sometimes the apraxia part of your brain just needs a little support to understand how to send those messages to the mouth and how to move for speech. Um, and that's really helpful for kids because it sort of takes it off of them as a person. And that, oh, okay, this is just my apraxia. It's part of me. And sometimes we'll even like joke around about it, you know, um, for kids as they get older, when they intended to say something else and it didn't come out how they wanted it, like, oh, whoops, you know, silly apraxia. Um, or let's, let's, you and I are working together as a team to teach the apraxia. Sometimes they take that approach. Like we're working together and we're, we're teaching the apraxia and the apraxia is learning and it's doing such a great job. I love um, how you're referring to it as like something else. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, and not for them to feel like it's not part of who they are, right. but for them not to not feel that it's the only part of who they are. It's, it's well, that balance. Yeah. And I, and, and I didn't mean like thinking of it as separately from themselves, but it almost is like something that they can control. Like the apraxia in my brain is something that I can control and we can put a label on it but a label that they feel like positive about, and maybe they could call it something else. Like, what do you want to call your apraxia? Like we could call it, you know, a name too. Like, let's tell John to <laughs> do this, right. you know? Yeah. That's a great idea. It kind of goes back to that, like name it to tame it. Right. Like yeah. we as humans, you know, that's, that's humans are so complex. And even the fact that we're able to communicate in the way that we do, when you really break it down, it's, amazing. We're the only species on, on earth that can communicate with such complexity. Um, so it, it, you know, it really is unbelievable. Um, you know, and something else that I think of is the medical model of disability versus the social model of disability. Um, so the medical model looks at disability as a deficiency or an abnormality. Um, whereas the social model of disability looks at disability more as a difference. Um, and medical model disability resides in the individual um, versus the social model 
disability derives from that interaction between a person and society. Um, And in the medical model, the remedy for disability um, is a quote unquote cure or normalization of the individual versus in the social model, it's actually a change in the interaction between the individual and society. So when we think about friendship, we're talking a lot about apraxia, but a big component of this is also teaching the other person in the equation, right? Like it takes two to tango. So a friendship is between at least two people. So that that other person maybe who does not have apraxia or or maybe they do, or maybe they have a different disability or maybe they're non-disabled. It's important for that person to also understand how to support their friend and accommodate their friend and to learn from their friend um, and to have that shared connection. So it's it's not it's not just up to the person with apraxia. It's also up to us as a society. Um, and you know, in the medical model, the agent of remedy and meaning in order to to support that person is a professional. Um, and in the social model, it's the the individual or an advocate or or anyone who who works with that person. I love that you brought up the difference between the medical and the social model. It was a really great reminder of the dichotomy between the two. And I just love the idea that like you're working on the interaction and you're not putting all of the responsibility on the individual with apraxia, but on the communication partner as well. You know, we do a lot of that with AAC. There's even like communication partner goals. I found that really difficult to write those type of goals, like for an IEP though. Are you able to write those type of goals in your private practice? We can, we definitely have more flexibility in our private practice. And sometimes um, we will, we'll even have a friend or a communication partner join the session. We also love to facilitate interaction between our clients, like in between sessions, you know, kind of from the moment they enter our door, it's all a communication opportunity. So whether they're in the lobby, in the hallway, you know, making their way to the treatment room, um, it's all an opportunity for, for connection to work on our targets, work on our speech, um, but to also look at the whole person and, and all of their needs. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's awesome. Great. So we think we covered all of these points, right? Yes. You know, one other, one other thing that I do want to address that I think is, is really important as, as part of this conversation is the importance of representation. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's so important for people with apraxia to first know about their apraxia and understand who they are. Um, and again, the language for that changes throughout their lives. Um, and then also to connect with and learn from other people with apraxia so they can see themselves represented. Um, you know, one Jordan Christian Levon is such a great self-advocate. He has CAS and he's a, a wonderful advocate for the CAS and the disability community. Um, and something that we kind of laugh about, but it, it really makes me think is one of my clients who has his books, he's, he's authored um, three children's books, which I would definitely recommend. We have them in our practice. They're What's wonderful. His name? Um, Jordan Christian Levon. Okay. Yes. And on social media, he's fighting for my voice. Mm, love that. Um, 
And so my client with apraxia, she believes in Santa Claus, but she doesn't believe that Jordan is real. She doesn't think he's a real person. <laughs> and again, you know, it, it, it makes us laugh, but it also made me think like, well, why is that? And, and maybe that's because she's never met someone with apraxia before and she's never seen, and he's an adult with apraxia. Um, so that representation is so important because we want to be able to see ourselves in others. Um, so, you know, some of my favorite role models that have apraxia that I, that I will share about with my clients, with their families. Um, so there's Jordan Christian Levon fighting, fighting for my voice, um, Mikey Akers and his account is Mikey's wish, um, Tessa McAvoy, apraxia story and Allison Taylor girl with a funny accent. Those are their, um, names on social media. So that representation is super, super important. And, you know, something else to consider too is volunteering. Um, because so often our kids with CAS are so used to going to therapy or being pulled out in school and getting supported. And we all get such a good feeling from giving back and being of service in our communities. And oftentimes we don't always give others that opportunity. So, um, embedding even for young children, whether it has something to do with with apraxia or not, you know, it could even just be volunteering at a local animal shelter or, um, you know, packing lunches for underprivileged children, you, you know, whatever it may be, whatever's meaningful to that child or that person. Um, that's also a really impactful way for them to accept themselves and who they are by being able to give back and to support others and to know that they're not the only one who needs support and needs help. We all need support and we all need help in different areas of our life. Oh, yeah. I love that. That's a really great tip. And thank you for sharing all of those accounts. I'm going to go follow all of them. If I'm not already, I got Jordan's Mikey's Tess girl with a funny accent. I think I missed one. That was it. You got them all. Tessa. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I can, I I'll share that with you. Vanita. Okay. You can put it in the handout too. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. I'll make a note to put in the handout. All right. Awesome. Okay. You ready to move on? Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. All right. So let's talk about, we did talk about goals and strategies to facilitate friendship building. Um, but did we cover everything or is there more that you want to talk about too? Yeah. I mean, I think something else, um, that I'd love to touch on that we, we talked about a bit are, is the importance of literacy in books. Um, 85% of children with apraxia will experience challenges in, with reading. So first and foremost, just fostering a love for reading is so important at an early age. Um, but also we want to make sure that, you know, the books that we're sharing provide that opportunity for representation and connection. So whether it be a book about someone with apraxia um, or books about, you know, social emotional learning or being able to connect and relate to their emotions, um, that can be super, super beneficial. So, um, Jordan Christian Levon, who I was talking about earlier, he's authored three books as part of a series called Jordan's world. Um, and then each book has a different title. Um, there's also a book called what your friend with apraxia wants you to know. Um, and that was written by Laura Bruno. Um, and then there are two books. One is something to say about my speech and something to say about my communication device, because of course, as we know, 
many um, individuals with CAS also use a speech generating device. So again, these are great books, not just for the person with apraxia, but also for the community. So these are books that can be um, provided to the schools as well to educate the other children in that person's class. Um, and then there are other are other books that are great for just inclusivity. Um, all My Stripes, We're All Wonders, It's Okay to Be Different. Um, I love all the Todd Carr books. That's a Todd Carr book. Um, Tiffany Hammond just came out with a book called A Day With No Words. Um, and then there are social, emotional, and friendship building books. So there's a book called the circles all around us. Um, I love the little blue truck books. There's one that's called little blue truck makes a friend. That's wow. really cute. Um, Daniel tiger is a great, he, there, there are a lot of, um, social narratives that are embedded into that show. I, I really love that show. Um, and then there's, there's books too. There's a book that that's called, um, Daniel's new friend. That's great. Um, and then for, there's, I, I can send you a ton of books. I mean, I can say. I'm just like giggling inside because I feel like you and my do- my two and a half year old daughter would have a really good conversation because you picked all of her favorites. Todd Parr, Little Blue Truck and Daniel Tiger are like her top three faves. <laughs> she has great taste and I would love to read to her at any time. Um, yeah, there's a couple of other social emotional books like the Crayons Book of Feelings, um, Breathe Like a Bear, which gives um, specific mindfulness strategies and breathing strategies and they're really cute it's like hot chocolate breaths and bear (laughs) breaths um have you filled a bucket today and it's all about you know sharing words of kindness and fill that each of us have this imaginary bucket um and then there are books for for adults too you know about whether it's about disability or about um you know communication challenges like there's one specific to apraxia um, called Overcoming Apraxia. Um, and that's written by Laura Baskell Smith. Um, she's a, a mother. Yeah. She's a parent of a child with apraxia and she's also an SLP. So she has a really unique perspective. Yeah. She'll be one of our speakers for Apraxia Connect too. So yeah, she was by Jocelyn. Yeah. So shout out to Laura. (laughs) Shout out to Laura. Yeah. She's great. She's a great resource. She's on social media as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, so many great recommendations. And I heard the day, um, A Day With No Words is awesome. Have you gotten that book yet? I haven't yet. I haven't yet. It's in my cart. It just came out. I don't even know if it's been released yet on Amazon. Um, I was checking. Maybe maybe it has, but if it has, it's been like within the last week. Um, it's very new. Okay. I'm not familiar with the author. Is it a therapist or an, a parent? great it's a parent um she is on fidgets and fries i follow her on social media as well and um, she really has a very unique and um interesting perspective and i really enjoy following her awesome thank you i'm gonna definitely so many pe- good people to follow after this <laughs> yes. so i see here like you mentioned social groups, play groups. Uh, how are you facilitating those like with your practice? Yeah. So, um, you know, those are just great recommendations to connect with others. Um, you know, it, it can be a social group that is facilitated by a therapist, but it also can just be recreational. So, you know, it's, it's so easy for us to really focus on the child's speech for kids with apraxia. 
Um, but we want to look at the whole person. So depending on what they gravitate towards, what their passions are, what their interests are, whether it's, you know, sports, Legos, um, video games, animals, and foster those passions and have them join groups that promote those in areas of interest. So that way they can make connections to others who have those shared interests. Um, and any kind of social communication group, those are really effective too in having those more intentional interactions. Um, we have had social groups at our practice before. Um, we actually moved into a new office just last year. Um, and Benita, I know you were you were able to come stop by yes. and visit us. <laughs> Um, so it is something that we are looking to do again in the fall or sometime early next year. Um, we're also leading a, a summer camp over the summer, um, for children age three to five who have, um, childhood apraxia of speech or another speech sound disorder. It's going to be amazing. Is this the first time you're offering that one? Yes, this is the first time. Yep. Yep. We moved into the office. Um, it's been just about a year that we've been here. Um, so now we're really excited, you know, as things have kind of eased up with the pandemic to be able to offer more, more group programs. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I'm glad we touched on it because you brought up a great point. Like not everything has to be therapized. <laughs> like the, the goal here is to just help them build meaningful friendships and relationships. So it's not like you have to have the therapist there at the social group or the play group saying, Oh, let's try that one again. Let's say it like 10 times. <laughs> um, it's really, the goal is really just to build friendships yeah. and acceptance, right? Absolutely. And as I shared earlier, I also lead um, a charity in our community called the friendship journey. And we partner with different organizations um, in, in the community to facilitate those meaningful interactions. And everything is, is free for, for those who are part of it. Um, so we have a theater program with the Broward Center. Um, we have farm where they go and do animal visits. We have art where they paint. And it's so great. Um, I love when our clients go to the programs because it's such a great opportunity for us to see how are they generalizing the skills? How do they interact and connect with other kids, their age and their peers? Um, and maybe what other areas of support are needed. So, you know, I, I definitely always recommend if it's possible, I know all of us are so busy and it's, it's not always, but, um, even if it's just a few times a year to, um, to be in the community for therapists to really see, how their kids are and are interacting within within those um, settings. Um, it's I think it's really helped me grow as a therapist because when I see hmm, this is something that they did really well or, or this is something that we can work on and how can I foster that in this um, in this space you know in this really intentional space and how might that carry over into something that's a little more recreational. Um, but I absolutely agree. You know, it's it's so important for us to look at the whole child because the whole intention of speech therapy is for the child to be able to best communicate and connect with others and connect with the world around them and to live their happiest, most fulfilled lives. That's that's the intention. So when we think of that as okay, that's our that's our intention, that's our why, and we look at it through that lens, we can also think of other aspects of the child's life that we can support and that we can amplify so that way they can, they can be fulfilled and they can be happy and, and reach those highest levels of, of needs 
um, you know, kind of going back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs of, of belonging, of esteem, and of self-actualization. This may or may not be a problem. I'm just imagining it is in my, my head. <laughs> is there like a certain age group with this population where it's really hard to get buy-in for the speech therapy part of it, like what you're targeting, um, the motivation is like lacking. Maybe they don't understand the purpose of the goals. Does that tend to happen with this population at all? Absolutely. Um, I, I see it oftentimes in different stages of life. And of course it depends on the child's personality and, and, you know, their interests, um, but, you know, we have, for example, there are some young children who, when they first start, they shut down, you know, they hide under the table, they put their head down because apraxia therapy is very, can be very repetitive um, because we have to repeat the targets many times to create those motor plans. And it's hard, it's hard work, um, which is also why we want to make sure that we're working within that challenge point framework, that it's not too difficult for them. Of course, not too easy because we want to amplify, but sometimes in the beginning, you know, if a child is, you know, really shutting down or doesn't want to participate, um, we might choose targets that are a little more on the easy end just to get them successful and just to get them used to the process of I say, you say, this is how we move our mouths um, in order to, to execute those targets, but also reading them and where they're at. And this is where that rapport and that, that connection is so important because some days for all of us are just harder than others. Um, and sometimes I found that when it's, it's, it's hard because as a results driven person, and I know we share that Benita, sometimes it's like, oh, we got to get, you know, this many targets in, and this is my goal for today. Um, but sometimes we just have to meet them as, you know, here's the little human being in front of us. And, um, you know, where, where are they at right now? Like maybe today is a day to kind of push, put those targets aside and just work on some social emotional learning and really validate their feelings. Like, I see that you're, you're sad, or I see that you're, you're frustrated. I see that you're feeling really mad, you know, and work on those coping strategies. Um, and then of course, as kids go older, sometimes it can be challenging too, because, you know, it's a lot more fun to go play Roblox or Minecraft than to come to speech therapy. Um, so then, you know, with, with one of my older clients, we actually, I created a Roblox account, <laughs> which has been a very interesting learning experience. Um, and then we worked on our targets through that framework, you know, cause there's so many multisyllabic words and, um, you know, targets that we can integrate that are meaningful for, for that child. And that really helps increase the motivation. So, um, absolutely therapy is hard work and, um, that's where that, that connection and that, that bond and that relationship really comes into play. Yeah. And I love, like, I remember like creating Roblox accounts too, when I was like working for a private practice and seeing a whole myriad of clients, like you get all types of interests too. So I remember that that was fun. Um, but yeah, I could imagine where like these social type of goals would really come in handy. Like if you are having maybe like the other types of goals that you have specifically for childhood apraxia speech, maybe like progress isn't where you'd like it to go. Like you were saying, like being really goal oriented. Um, but if you have like these social goals in there as well, like that's part of the treatment plan and maybe subsequently, like they'll be generalizing what you've been working on and you'll see faster progress by having these social goals into, cause there's that social motivation as well. 
maybe they're not motivated to do it with you, but maybe more motivated to do it with their peers. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think when they are more fulfilled in life, they're more motivated to, to participate um, because they feel that sense of self-worth and that sense of agency um, and that sense of their ability to overcome hardships. Like you can do hard things and we got this and we're going to get through this together. Um, that building that connection is so meaningful and having connections that are all around them is like providing um, that that whole community of support for that child to reach reach the best version of themselves, which of course looks different for every person. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And I should clarify, Sam is a wonderful therapist. She's like one of the best. So when I said you, I was like speaking to every SLP in general. Um, but I personally know Sam is an awesome therapist. <laughs> so I I doubt any of your clients are bored in like your therapy, Sam. <laughs> No, I mean, listen, um, we can, we can be the best therapists, right. But some it's, it's tough sometimes. And, and, you know, no matter what kids are going to have their days, we all have our days. And so it's important for us to be real with them too. Um, but yeah, you know, sometimes it it takes a lot of, uh, creativity. Like the other day in one of my sessions, I have this, um, fart button, (laughs) very shameless. Um, like it literally, every time you push it, it makes a different type of fart sounds like one <laughs> first and another is like a really long one. And, um, it's really funny. I, every time I use it, I'm like, Oh God, like, what are they thinking? You know, in the, in the next room over. Um, but we got so many targets in and there was, <laughs> and there was laughter and there was joy in the session. And, you know, that's how we better learn. We better learn when we feel joy and when we feel connection. So I think when we also talk about friendship building, we're really talking about connection. And um, so, you know, that's such a great point, Benita, because I think so much of that is also that connection between the child and the therapist too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You just said something that like really made me think about like that whole shared joy just thinking about all of like the more child-led approaches, like we've always known about child-led, but I think like everyone is moving more in that direction and really trying to veer away from like that medical model. And you said like shared joy. And I remember, you know, you know, from the long, for the longest time, it's always been like, oh, they need to have the prerequisite of joint attention, but it's like, without that shared joy, you're not going to have joint attention. Like it's impossible. You need that shared joy first to have that joint attention. And it comes like when they're enjoying what you're doing, um, that's going to come naturally. It's not something that like has to be explicitly taught. Right. I love that. That's such a great point. It makes me think of something I heard once about relationships and how in a, in a relationship between two people, there's really three entities. It's like each individual person and then it's what you share together. And that's almost its own entity in and of itself, that that shared connection. Um, so I think that a lot of this is working on that kind of space in between too. Oh my God, I love that. I love that so much. That's really good. Uh, all right, awesome. Okay, so we have one more to go through. Um, this has just been like so awesome so far. So how do you help your clients foster self-advocacy skills and build that sense of community? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think we, we touched on some of this, 
but just to expand on it further, you know, first and foremost, self-advocacy starts with us. So we have to understand ourselves and we have to appreciate and respect ourselves um, before we're really able to advocate for ourselves. So sometimes, you know, that's, again, just first learning who we are and learning about our apraxia and what that means. And again, the language for that really can vary depending on, on the child's age and on the child's understanding. Um, and then being able to take that knowledge and that sense of self-worth and expanding that out into the world. So sometimes that might mean role-playing, you know, practicing how they can advocate for themselves in various situations, whether that's at the, the doctor, whether that is um, maybe for older individuals who are driving, um, that can be a challenge. I know that that's something that someone with apraxia shared with me before that, you know, they got pulled over and that the police officer thought that they were intoxicated um, because their speech sounded different. So, you know, being able to have those tools to advocate. And sometimes it's something um, tangible too, you know? So sometimes it might mean, you know, that the child wears a bracelet that has their identification or that the child has a card that says, I have apraxia and it impacts my speech. Um, because sometimes if a child is in a, or a teen or an adult is in a difficult situation, it's going to be harder for them to access their speech at that time, even for fully verbal communicators. Um, so, you know, those are more extreme examples of self-advocacy, but it might even be, you know, being able to advocate for themselves to play with someone, you know, and again, this is where some of those targets come in to play. Um, so being able to say, can I have a turn or, um, can I play, um, that can help the child advocate for themselves to be part of that experience. Um, and then again, connecting with the apraxia community, having those, those role models, um, participating in community events like the apraxia walk um, that is led in different cities throughout the country through apraxia kids. Um, and it's such a joyful experience and a day where, you know, families, therapists, community members all come together um, to support, they call them the apraxia stars. Um, which and again, is just so full of joy. They, the Jordan Christian Levon also has an organization called the Apraxia Foundation um, where they do Apraxia festivals. So there are different things within the Apraxia community. Um, also the Apraxia conference. I've, I've been to the conference for um, the last like five years now, it's, it's been some time and I learned something different every time I go. And the first time I went, something that really struck me was that sense of community. I was, I was expecting to go to learn, um, and just really thinking about like, which courses am, am I going to take and what am I going to learn? And yes, it's such a wonderful learning experience. Um, and I always, always, always take something else with me from the conference. Um, and something that I now value so much in going is being part of that apraxia community because there are family members that go, there are people with apraxia, there are speech pathologists, um, there are researchers and you know all of these people who have a different passion and a different coming from a different place, um, all with that shared passion for serving the apraxia community. 
Um, and those are all ways to, to promote that awareness of apraxia. Um, I know apraxia awareness day is coming up. It is May 14th. Um, and apraxia kids also has an initiative for people to designate that as apraxia awareness day within their communities and their cities, um, you know, to get the, the local government to acknowledge that, um, educating others. We do, we do trainings every year in our local preschools because so often teachers and educators are the first ones to identify that these children are communicating in a different way. So we want teachers to understand what to look for. Um, so that way they can provide that information and those resources to families and parents. Um, so that can really promote that awareness of apraxia too. Um, and then of course, you know, we, we shared a lot about, you know, different um, support organizations, advocacy groups, um, child apraxia treatment is a great organization. In addition to apraxia kids, um, they have a lot of evidence-based information and I found it to be really robust and informative. Um, it's something that I, I share with families and professionals often as a really wonderful resource. Wonderful. These are all really great. Thank you so much. And again, we'll include those. And I think some are even mentioned in the references or maybe, yeah, Praxy Kids is here, but I will definitely include it in the handout at least. Um, Sam, this has been incredible. So where do you want to have everybody find and connect with you? Yeah, so you can find us on on social media. Um, we're on Instagram and Facebook at Bridge Therapy. Um, you can also, you know, feel free to check us out um, on our website, mybridgetherapy.com. Um, you can email us, hello at mybridgetherapy is kind of our, our general email, or if you want to email me directly, it's sam at mybridgetherapy.com. Um, and thank you so much, Vanita. I, I really value the work that you do. And um, I, I always love watching you shine in our community and all of the different ways that you bring people together since the moment that I met you. Um, you really have a gift for, for doing that and sharing, sharing your wisdom and sharing your passion with others, um, and helping to make our community a much better place to be. So I always appreciate you. And I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. Likewise, uh, you've always inspired me and why don't you share your organization information too? Yeah. So, um, our organization is called the friendship journey. Um, our website is thefriendshipjourney.org. We, we actually are in the process of um, a total website redesign. Um, so you can definitely check it out now, but in the next you know, couple of months, it'll be um, very pretty and brand new. Um, and all of our, for anyone local in South Florida, all of our, our programs are free for families. They're all funded through our donors and sponsors. Um, and we also lead for teens and adults, a free virtual summer camp, um, that was inspired by Camp Jeanette. Um, there's a movie on, on, it's on Netflix. It's called Crip Camp that, that inspired us to create the camp. And it's, it's all about how this camp, um, really laid the groundwork for the disability rights movement. So amazing. You're so amazing. Thank you so much for coming. And I know people are going to be super excited to connect with you. And I'll see you at the panel discussion. Thank you. I'll see you there. Wasn't that amazing? This episode is part of an online event called Apraxia Connect. 
As a reminder, listening to this podcast episode does not automatically guarantee ASHA CEUs. If you want to earn 0.1 ASHA CEUs for this episode or up to 0.6 ASHA CEUs for all the episodes, plus access to perks like handouts, video playbacks, and discount codes, then you still have the chance to register using the link in the show notes. As a bonus, I'm throwing in two free handouts into the exhibit hall for you. One for parents to learn more about childhood apraxia of speech and one on AAC and CAS. So just to summarize, in order to earn ASHA CEUs, first register for the conference with the link in the show notes. Or you can go to tasseltogether.com and you'll see the Apraxia Connect tab. Then you'll be able to access the course feedback survey quiz and earn your certificate. Please submit all the required materials no later than June 26, 2023. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you in the exclusive Apraxia Connect community on Tassel where you can get all of your questions about CAS answered.